How are you doing there? A warm welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show. I hope you had a lovely weekend. If you are an England fan, I'm sure you did. You might have a sore head. Maybe not now. It's a bit late in the day for sore heads. Welcome to Monday's programme. It is the 5th of December 2022. With you till 7 o'clock. Two very interesting guests coming your way. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, I know, as if by magic, every Monday to Thursday, as if by magic, I'm here, you're there. It's amazing, isn't it? I've got two terrific guests. Karen Churchill is up this hour. Karen is one of three claimants uh, from Action Against 5G seeking a judicial review case on the rollout of 5G in this country. We spoke with Karen before, there's some very good news. Their case has been led by the renowned human rights barrister Michael Mansfield. So action against 5G, looking for a judicial review against the rollout of 5G. Don't miss that this hour. Later on in the programme, Rebecca Barrett will join me. Rebecca is an activist for the National Party in Ireland. She's a mother. She is a teacher. She was on with me last year. Really interesting lady. We'll talk about immigration in Ireland and much more with Rebecca. That's uh, Monday's programme with me, your BBG. You can reach out to me via my website, richieallen.co.uk. It says comment live on the menu bar. Leave me a comment and I will read your comment out as the programme progresses. How about them apples, eh, eh, eh? And tomorrow, Tuesday, you're getting ahead of yourself there, Baldy. It's only Monday, I know. But tomorrow, Tuesday, I'll be taking your phone calls, the global phone-in, which is a rather grandiose title, but we do tend to get calls from everywhere. Uh, The global phone-in will be on tomorrow from about 5.30, so keep that in mind. If you've never spoken with me before, I'd love to hear from you on the issues we discuss on this programme. Tomorrow, the phone-in today, Karen Churchill and Rebecca Barrett. Yes, England have advanced to the quarter-finals of the World Cup. They will play France this coming Saturday at 5, excuse me, at 7pm UK time. And it's not that I don't have any sympathy for the hospitality industry in Senegal, but I don't live there. I live here, and I like the UK. I like England, and I'm glad the team is doing well, because, dagnabbit, hospitality really needs the boost. It does, really. So well done, England. They play the French. My other half is French and doesn't really care too much about foosball. So she won't be sitting there next Friday, next Saturday. What's wrong with you? She won't be sitting with me next Saturday wearing a Les Blues shirt or a jersey or a Gansey and screaming for France while quaffing Sauvignon Blanc. No, she won't be doing that. She'll be reading a book and saying, is it any good? (laughs) So good luck to England as the tournament progresses towards its climax now. Okie doke. Now, I, I, want, I want to read this from The Independent. Anybody who is familiar with the work of Mark Windows, he of, of, of windowsontheworld.net, lovely guy, you know Mark. He comes on this programme from time to time, graces us with his presence. He's a terrific researcher, particularly in the localisation of the global agenda. 
he puts it far, far more eloquently than I've just done there. But he's very, very good. How global agendas are delivered locally, Mark's brilliant. Check him out. So he would, of course, have been very interested in developments in Westminster today. The Labour Party leader, Keir Starmer, has vowed to, quote, unbind, end quote, Britain from a centre that hasn't delivered. Labour unveiling its blueprint for political and economic devolution. Keep the term devolution in your mind. God, I remember this back in 2000 and 1999 and 2001 when decentralisation was all the rage in Ireland. I didn't understand it then. I thought it was a good thing when they were talking about, well, let's decentralise out to the country. Mm, I thought, yeah, that sounds good, but I didn't know what I know now. Anyway, doesn't matter. So Starmer claimed people are being held back by the broken model that hoards power in Westminster. The country's crying out for a new approach. Of course, he's right. Who could argue that the, the, the governance model, the model of governance is broken? Of course it's broken. It's corrupt. It's filthy. It isn't real. It's an illusion. Guys like Starmer are controlled. They are puppets for other people that are pushing an agenda. But that's not what Starmer is saying. God, no, he's not going to tell the truth. So he's saying people are crying out for a more local approach, basically. So he spoke at the launch of this report um, of Labour's Commission on the UK's future. He got Gordon Brown, who was briefly Prime Minister once, one half of the Beatles, according to Bono. Remember Bono said that Tony Blair and Gordon Brown were the Beatles? That Bono was an arse, isn't he? So Gordon Brown was given the job of heading up this task force, this panel, to determine how we would progress with a new approach to governance under Labour. Starmer said people want more control over their lives, more control over their country. Brown said, Gordon Brown, his commission on the UK's future was proposing the biggest, wait for it, quote, the biggest transfer of power out of Westminster and Whitehall that our country has seen. Sounds lovely. It sounds so benign. It sounds so benevolent. It sounds so good. Yes, us fat cat career politicians, we shouldn't have the power. You should have the power. How, how again could you argue with it on the face of it? But the reality if they get their way, and they will, is totally different. Uh, Brown said his report identified 288, quote, new economic clusters, 200 of them outside London, capable of creating tens of thousands of high-paying jobs. The, the panel suggests giving local communities new powers over skills, wait for it, transport, ding, 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 right, planning, ding, 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 and culture to drive growth and replace it uh, excuse me, replace the House of Lords with a new democratic assembly of nations and regions, citizens' assemblies, grassroots organisations. Again, sounds so benign, so lovely, but it isn't. Sir Keir Starmer said Labour would aim to abolish the indefensible upper chamber House of Lords, ideally within the first term of a Labour government. Let me quote Starmer before we hear some audio. Not from him, don't panic. Starmer said this is a quote, this is a strong, compelling set of recommendations that do what politicians have all agreed needs to be done, but nobody has actually done it, which is to be bold enough to say we've got to stop those in Westminster and Whitehall pretending they know best about the communities that desperately want to play their part in the future. We are going to transfer that power to them, rebuild our economy 
end quote. So what is really going on before we discuss that? Let's hear a couple of clips. Here's Adam Ramsey from Open Democracy. Yeah, you're right, Soros, yeah. Open Democracy uh, takes money not just from the Browntree Foundation and, and, and many others, but it takes significant funding from the Open Society Foundations founded by and run by George Soros. It's important we keep that in mind. So here's Adam Ramsey. This is all very good, but it hasn't gone far enough for Adam. Here he is speaking with Sky News. The last three elections, what Labour's proposed, so 2015, 2017 and 2019, was bringing together a um, a People's Constitutional Convention, so a kind of jury of people from across... A People's Constitutional Convention. ...across the country to actually rewrite the rules of British democracy, which... Rewrite the rules of British democracy. Now, don't call me a hypocrite, dear listener. I know the UK isn't a democracy. I know it isn't. It's an illusion, a smokescreen. It is a fascist dictatorship where hidden hands control everything that happens, using puppets like Starmer, like Blair, like Thatcher. Look, I know this. But this guy is saying, we've got to rip that up. We've got to rip that up. We've got to change all that and totally rewrite British democracy. It isn't a democracy, so heaven help us, what could it be? For me, it would have to involve having a written, you know, handing power to the people of the country, which is how normal democracies work. Yeah. And having a written constitution, which means we might have, you know, properly local, local government, rather than, you know, Birmingham has the biggest central government area in all of Europe. The idea that you can make serious local decisions across communities of millions of people is you know, I think ridiculous. No one else tries to do that. Um, so pr- have properly local local government that genuinely holds real constitutional power, have proper regional government that can make those kinds of decisions and have, you know, if you're going to have some kind of centralised state, then, you know, having having that properly accountable locally rather than, you know, a kind of central power from which all, el- all other power flows down. We're the only country that governs ourselves like that. And I think the other thing that is really disappointing today sitting here in Scotland, is that, you know, we've had the whole crisis around the fact that most people in Scotland, according to the latest poll, want independence, and there's no democratic route for the people of Scotland to get that independence. And, you know, there was some suggestion that Labour might have some kind of solution to that. There's nothing. Yeah, the presenter should have jumped in and pointed out to him that there was a referendum on Scottish independence a few years ago, and Nicola Sturgeon and her pals lost, lost it. Referenda, supposed to be generational things, maybe. They've had one. It's only been a few years ago. Um, They lost it. Uh, We carry on, don't we? At least for a while. Okay. I hear hear you, Scottish person. I know the UK decided to leave the European Union and most Scottish people determined that Scotland should be a part of the European Union. I hear you. Anywho. There's no road out of that constitutional impasse so you know this is this is feels a lot like the same sorts of things as labor have been talking about for a long time there's no- he's not happy about it right let's hear paul richards paul richards is a former special advisor to the labor party he worked for tony blair did paul richards let's listen you do need to shake up the system it's not working people feel terribly disillusioned with it system is not working people are disillusioned we've heard a lot of this today it's sclerotic no. isn't it the whole thing 
It's neurotic and it creates a space for demagogues and uh, populists. And we've seen this all over the all over the world, you know, from Trump and everyone else. That if you create a sort of disillusioned, non-voting population, believing conspiracy theories and you know, riding each other up on social media, then it creates space for very bad people to come and fill through democratic fora. So well, yeah, we have a shocking state of affairs at the moment where people go on social media and they believe in conspiracy theories, and that paves the way for demagogues and populists. This is no good. We've got to have a brand new system. We've got to localise it, decentralise it. This is Paul Richards, Labour advisor at one time. You do need a, a lively politics. And it was where... in... It's, apologies, finish your point. No, no, please. Apologies. Okay. <laughs> I, I was going to... polite. I was going to say it was interesting to hear Keir Starmer make the point that this isn't just about saying here's some money. This is about saying you have the right to raise funds. You have you, you will have the right to raise funds. You will have the right to make transport policy, housing policy, in in a bigger way than than, than you do in in local and regional settings now. And I tell you what came to my mind when he said that was that God, probably happened when I was at school. Actually, are you familiar with? The- yeah, let's forget the rest of that. Um, speaking there to LBC, Paul Richards, the power to take decisions, local authorities, on transport, education and housing and the money to do it, the right to go, the power to generate your own money rather than get your money from central government or simply from council tax, right? So, of course, this is the wet dream of the NGOs, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Open Democracy Foundations of George Soros and others. It's a wet dream for them. You see, Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion and other groups don't need to worry about getting elected to affect policies. This is what it's all about. This is about expediting the agendas we talk about on your Richie Allen show. It's about expediting them. Let's get rid of the House of Lords. Don't for a minute think that I'm excusing the system as it is now. I'm not. It's crap. But in theory, I'm talking about the current system from a theoretical point of view, right? So you have the, the, the lower chamber, the House of Commons, elected MPs proposing legislation. It is voted by MPs. It is voted on by MPs. If it passes, it's supposed to have a safety valve. The safety valve is supposed to be the House of Lords, the upper chamber. They're supposed to have a look at it. And if it's, you know, a bit Orwellian, a bit dystopian, or if it isn't lawful or legal, the House of Lords will say no, 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 and send it back down to the House of Commons and tell them to get their, to get their, basically get your asses in gear and clean up this legislation before you send it back to us. That's how it's supposed to work. I'm not being naive. Bear with me. Let's play the game. That's the theory. Now, those who want to push these agendas like climate crisis, which isn't happening, it's not happening quick enough for them. What do we do? How do we get rid of even the illusion of democracy because we don't have a democracy? How do we get rid of that? Let's decentralise. Let's devolve power out to the people. Wonderful. Stakeholders. They use terms like stakeholders in the community. And you see, what people like George Soros and Bill Gates want to do is they want to basically control the stakeholders. It's much easier to control the stakeholders uh, than it is to control lots and lots of different politicians especially low-level politicians who might not be in on the overall Great Reset scheme of things, backbenchers and whatnot. So this is the way to do it. Get it down to a local level, get citizens' assemblies going, and you basically put people on the citizens' assemblies that will do exactly what it is you tell them. It couldn't be any more basic. Uh, and and it's true, uh, th- this is not... Uh, 
you know, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is this this has been written. This is documented. All of this. This is how they're going to do it. Direct democracy. Bypass institutions like the House of Commons, the Houses of Parliament, Westminster, bypass, which is not, I know, don't shout at me, I know it isn't democracy, but bypass all of that, let's let's expedite things, let's accelerate the climate change agenda, let's get more low-traffic neighbourhoods going, you know, let's introduce the most bizarre, to you and me it'll be bizarre, but to everybody else it won't be. And the thing about this is, you see, they are priming a generation of children and teenagers to accept this. They will think it's fantastic. A generation of children and teenagers who believe that the world is in the, is in the grip of a climate emergency and that if it isn't solved in the next 30 or 40 years, there won't be a planet left for their own grandchildren. And it'll be that generation filling the citizens' assemblies... You get me? You see where this goes? Um, That's what they're proposing. Bypass uh, the traditional institutions, which again, and I know you're probably now screaming at me not to keep repeating it, but but if you're new to the programme, I'm not saying we have a democracy. I know we don't have a democracy. Of course we don't. The the, the 52% of the people in this country voted to leave the European Union. The UK has not left the European Union. There's no democracy in this country. The great majority of people in this country do not want the government to be selling arms worth billions and billions of pounds to to Saudi Arabia to go and brutalise a poor, impoverished people in Yemen. They don't want the government to continue the war in Ukraine by sending Ukraine weapons of mass destruction. The great majority of British citizens would rather, thank you very much, that you stop giving weapons to Ukraine and you tell Zelensky to get his thumb out of his fucking arse, sit down with Putin and come to some arrangement. That's what the majority of people want. We can't keep living like this where we go to the supermarket on a Saturday and then next Saturday things are 20% more expensive than they were the previous Saturday. We can't have £500 of energy bills a month. We can't have that because we don't have the money. But there's no democracy. Wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, nobody in this country wanted those. So there is no democracy. I get that. This will be uh, packaged up and sold to people as a new and improved democracy. Local, you will have much more say in what goes on in your life because things will be managed locally. But as I said, it's manna from heaven for open democracy, for, for, for all of these NGOs, for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to come in and to manipulate what goes on. And I'm boring myself because you know this. It's 18 and a half minutes past the hour. Speaking of the climate change agenda, you know that every day at 3.30, Sky News has a climate change show where a presenter, they take it in turns, briefs the viewing, the, the, the watchers, the audience, brief them on the latest developments in the climate change saga. It's um, it's mad stuff. Have a listen. Let's take a look at what else is making climate news today for you. And climate news. The UK is ill-prepared to respond to floods caused by climate change. That's according to the British Red Cross. A new report from the charity says that almost three in four people living in an area where floods are likely don't know they're actually at risk. Well, it comes as experts warn the number of properties in England at risk of flooding from heavy rainfall in the next 30 years could double. Could double. No no evidence given. Scientists are warning that the number of homes 
at risk of flooding, vulnerable to flooding, could double, could, capital C, could double. Nobody there, just this bimbo in the studio. There's nobody else there to say, what? Show me the paper, what are you talking, where's the evidence? There is none, it's bullshit. Then she moves on to another story. This is even worse. Now, more than I haven't edited this now, listen. More than 2,500 seals have been found dead. On seals now? On the Caspian Sea coast in southern Russia. Two and a half thousand seals are dead. The cause of the deaths isn't yet known and the head of the Caspian Environmental Protection Centre said there was no sign they were killed or caught in fishing nets. So if the cause of the deaths of the seals is unknown, what are you talking about it for on a programme about climate change? Ah, I see what you're doing. It's very clever. It's very clever. You're mixing a possible environmental spillage or hazard story, something that might have killed the seals. You're just blending it in with climate change. You have no evidence that the seals are dead. Two and a half thousand are dead because the planet is warming. In fact, they couldn't be. But you just throw it in there anyway, the seals, yeah. Two and a half thousand seals are dead, yeah. Caspian seals have been classified as endangered since 2008. Since 2008, they might have a competitor competing for fish since 2008. The fishing grounds they normally populate might have been overfished by fishermen. But no, throw it into the climate change show and scare the piss out of people. While you're talking about homes becoming vulnerable, doubling the amount of homes becoming vulnerable to flooding in the future. It could happen, says scientists. It could happen. What else from this? Bimbo. Bimbo! Uh, climate change. She is a bimbo. You might think it's misogynistic. I don't care. Bimbo! She has a brain. Use it. This is shocking. Go and do something honest for a living. Rather than lying to people. Taking a salary to lie through your fucking teeth. A change protester who blocked the Sydney Harbour Bridge has been sentenced to 15 months in prison. Fantastic. One of these idiots who... Good news from the climate change show. One of these dipsticks who's getting in the way of people driving and going about their business has been thrown into prison for 15 months. Good riddance. I don't really mean that. I don't want to see people going to prison. Especially as many of these younger people believe it, don't they? They believe it so passionately, so fervently they believe it. Anyway, it's uh, your Richie Allen show. The time is 22 minutes past five. I'm Richie Allen. Don't forget to comment during the programme via comment live on the top of the menu bar. I've got two very good guests today. It's ladies' night on the Richie Allen show. Delighted to welcome back Karen Churchill, one of the claimants on the Action Against 5G Judicial Review. Can't wait to speak to her. Michael Mansfield is leading that for actionagainst5g.com. And Rebecca Barrett was on this programme last year. Lovely lady. An activist for the National Party. In fact, she's Justin Barrett's wife. But she's much more than that. She's a teacher and a mother as well. And a Christian. And we'll talk to Rebecca in our two about the lunacy of, of our country. <laughs> Lunacy and the Irish Times uh, and a guy called Conor Gallagher. I've been reading him, crime correspondent for the Irish Times. What a little weasel labelling people who are protesting about um, a, a, a building, an old ESB building. Is it an old ESB building? Dublin's East Wall. People have gone out there to protest against that building being used to house asylum seekers. And of course, as you'd expect the Irish Times, it's pretty much the same as the Times here, labelling them as far-right 
anti-immigrants. Maybe you might just for once, you might uh, describe them as maybe pro-Irish people. They are pro their own people. They are sympathetic to the problems of Irish men and women on low income and living in poverty, maybe, rather than describe them as being anti-immigrants and all that old crap. So we'll talk to Rebecca about that in the second hour. Thank you for your comments thus far. Um, Caroline says, I totally agree, Richie. Use the brain, stop reading a script. Uh, It has to occur to some of these people that they're doing wrong. You know, it has to. It must do. It occurred to me, I don't want any bloody credit for it, but I knew what I was doing and it was wrong. You know, to prop up this system to pretend that everything is real when it isn't. Alan says it was Putin that killed the seals, not climate change. <laughs> That's right. Let's blame it on Vlad. If it's not climate change, it must be Vlad. And Stephen says, beware of disjoint sets based on social definitions. Hi to uh, Faisal. It says, funny nobody was concerned about Eastern Ukraine independence when the new central government wanted to ethnically cleanse it. Uh, or indeed Crimea. Good point. Diane says, written constitution. Well, make sure that you are something like the second, that you add something like the second amendment to it, like they have in America, so that if people don't like what the local common purpose puppet is doing, they can remove them. Thank you very much for that, Diane. Thanks for all your comments. Keep them coming in between now and seven o'clock. It is, uh, what is it time to, I don't know what it's time to do. I've no idea. I'll tell you what, I'll do this back with you in 30 seconds. You're Richie Allen Show, Monday's programme. Cold, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases. We all get them. Never before have your body's defences been under such constant attack. Now more than ever, it's essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Immunex 365 has been specifically formulated to maximise the effect of each ingredient, giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show can use their special 15% discount code RICHIEALLEN365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now. Now with two-day track delivery free. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. And welcome back to it. I will be speaking with Rebecca Barrett in hour two before that. I'll be speaking with none other than Karen Churchill, 5G. This is really important and it is a subject that we we haven't spoken much about on this programme of late. So I'm looking forward uh, to that. Questions for Karen, please leave them on the website. I will be jumping in there as uh, as we're chatting. All righty. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. Thanks for listening to it with you till 7 Monday. At the 5th of December 2022, this is Steve Earle and Even When I'm Blue from Copperhead Road, which is a great album, eh? That is music from Steve Earle, Even When I'm Blue. It's exactly half past five this Monday. Let me tell you a little bit about Action Against 5G. I'm sure many of you will know uh, about the group already. It's a group of doctors, scientists engineers 
came together to start legal proceedings against the UK government's failure to take sufficient notice of health and safety risks around wireless radiation and the increased exposure from the deployment of 5G. Now, my first guest today is one of three people who uh, initiated this claim uh, against the government. Uh, let's welcome her back to the programme. It's been a while. Karen Churchill, how are you doing, Karen? Welcome back. Hello, Richie. Good to speak to you again. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. And you've got some good news concerning the judicial review and a week tomorrow. Tell us what's happening, Karen. Absolutely. We've got a date, Richie, and it's really exciting. December the 13th, an all-day hearing at the Strand in the court in London. Our case is um, yep, being heard. Um, we've had two stages of getting through um, to be granted permission for the case to be heard, and now we're in front of the judge with our evidence. And, uh, yeah, we have an opportunity to present our case um, what we found is that, you know, that, that as campaigners or people working with the councils to, uh, or people with electrosensitivity who are trying to talk to their doctors or their, their local representatives about what they're experiencing, um, they meet with a brick wall. And uh, people, the, the assumption of safety means that people aren't being heard about what they're actually experiencing. So uh, this can you is tell a chance. Me, Karen, can you tell me a little bit more about that? So when someone um, believes, and, and I've over the years I've spoken to people with electro um, sensitivity, when, when, when they do speak to a, a local representative, whether it's a, a councillor, whether it's an MP or a doctor, what's, what, what, what's the response generally? Is it dismissive? Well, the, the official line about EHS is that they understand, uh, the government understands that some people are experiencing symptoms, but they say that there's no reason to mitigate and to turn down the EMF. Um, uh, there's no um, scientific reason why that uh, their symptoms are being caused by EMF. But if you actually look into the science, there are there is a scientific support of um, biological markers that are found and science that shows that people with EHS can detect when the EMF is present or not. But what's happening is the science uh, that, that doesn't reflect that is given precedence over the science that does reflect that there is um, a, a scientific basis for these uh, symptoms. So um, there's, there's actually a classification now called the ICD-10W60, um, I think it is, and that is a category for registering if you have uh, radiation symptoms. Um, but it, again, the, the brick wall is that there isn't official acknowledgement of this. And then that, because there's no official acknowledgement, it leads into people denying um, the existence of those symptoms. That is real, yeah. So tell yeah. me, you, you mentioned biological markers, because a friend of mine said to me some years ago, I was trying to explain to a friend of mine that electro-hypersensitivity or electromagnetic sensitivity, I was explaining to a friend of mine why I am absolutely convinced that it's real, that this is a genuine yes. problem for people. And my, my, my friend's a great guy and he said, oh, Richie, but, you know, the, the, you know, we should be able to see this, shouldn't we, if we do blood tests, shouldn't we be able to see this under MRI scan? 
Yeah. How do I answer that, Karen? Well, I'm not sure it's an MRI scan, but the best person to refer to with the deepest knowledge and um, is uh, Dr. Erica Mallory Blythe, and she's recently co-authored a paper called um, uh, "Under the Heading of a Group: uh, The International Commission of Biological Effects (EMF.org)." And it's the best up-to-date paper that gives the scientific basis um, for EHS. Um, it's a tremendous paper, and I rec- highly recommend anybody who's looking to really understand what the scientific basis of the effects of RF are. And you can find are. this on the yeah. website, right? You can find this on actionagainst5g.com? Uh, yes, you can. It's on the news page. There's an article about it on, on the news page and, and the blog page on, on the site, which you'll find from a menu bar on the home page. Yeah, it's a really good website. Yeah. It's easy to navigate. I did say it to my friend at the time, obviously, I said, look, somebody who is suffering from this is not going to want to have an MRI scan. This is, this is a problem <laughs> anyway. No. You know, so... Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And we've just got to break, and this is what I'm hoping the case can achieve, is just breaking this barrier of the denial of what people are actually experiencing and what the effects are Um, because it's it's not acceptable that a whole body of people are experiencing these effects already and we're heading into much greater exposure and this this complete um, one-way communication via ICNA ICNA is the, the, the company that sets the uh, the standards and the guidelines, and they they filter the science and then create a guideline and and determine what's safe. Well, if a load of if a large portion of the public are experiencing that it's not safe, which they are, then that information about what we're experiencing out in the field should be heard. And what's what our case has revealed is that when you present information of harm, whether it's direct to the government's lawyers or to the um, the public health departments via the councils or direct, the the there is no accountability of the reporting of what people are experiencing. For example, in our case, there's a particular location in London where seven people have experienced acute symptoms that then turn into chronic symptoms with skin blisters, skin reddening, um, and then it develops into you know a, an acute sensitivity when in, in near a blade station or a Wi-Fi box, and these people haven't had those symptoms before until this uh, you know experiencing this acute uh, onset of symptoms at this one particular address. Now, if if, if that is reported to the authorities, backed up with science. Um, then why is there no accountability? You know, there has to be um, a response of some kind, and that's what we're looking for. You're looking for an official response. And yeah, you, and an official response, and, and this information to be built into the regulation system, because there is a system in law for regulating exposure, but that system isn't active. You know, the, the local councils are being misled that they cannot take health into account when they consider the placement of a mast. Now, we did manage a breakthrough in Mendip in April where they, we brought the information to show that within 500 meters, the health risks are significantly more. Um, there's a New Hampshire commission, and they did a, a year-long study of all the epidemiologies, and it was completely backed up by peer-reviewed science. If you live within 500 meters of a mast, 
you're more likely significantly to to get um, increased symptoms, whether it's, you know, uh, not being able to concentrate, not being able to sleep, headaches, that kind of thing, at the minimum. And then cancer is on the scale as, as well, increased risk of cancer. So we presented this information to Mendib, and we we had to really point out to them that they had a legal obligation to weigh up that risk because the government is telling them that they don't have to weigh up the risk, that they themselves have already completed that risk reconciliation process. And they're actually telling the councils that they mustn't set safe uh, health safeguards other than the guideline that they've chosen, which this information shows is completely inadequate. But it, it's taken a lot of, uh, of work, Richie, to, to, show, to convince the councils that they have that power and they have that obligation because they're leaning on, on, the, on the government. And there's lots of reasons why they might be doing that. But um, what I find really disappointing is, you know, given the evidence, it's clear as it, it's not even close. <laughs> And, uh, yes, then they, there is this brick wall of giving an official line which isn't researched, it's not logical, and it's not fair. You know, people are, are confined to their homes and not able to walk across their own cities because they get so many symptoms as soon as they move. And obviously since 5G has been turned on, you know, the, the sensitive friends I've got are suffering a lot more. And they've um, gone up very quickly too. In in, um, yeah. in in I've noticed in Salford, where 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 they have been installed, it's been around schools and hospitals. Now I suppose the the reason for that, or they will say the reason for that is, is because you know they need high speed connectivity in schools. They need it in hospitals too. But if this, if you're right, and and ultimately I I, I believe you probably are right. It's not going to be any good for people recovering in hospital from, 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 from whatever they might be in hospital for. Can I ask you this? Um, thinking about you coming on today, the media does occasionally mention 5G and claims about 5G, but it yeah. never mentions, um, you know, the, the, the very well thought out, the evidence-based claims made by you and others. It throws in things like, oh, wacky Facebook people say that COVID is really 5G and stuff like that. Is that a source of frustration for you? And by the way, just in case anybody starts screaming at me, I don't know that 5G couldn't exacerbate the symptoms of, of um, you know, of, of someone who's suffering with a respiratory illness. I'm not saying that. But they, they do tend to go for that in the press, you know, 5G this and 5G that. And well, well what do the you thing think? is we all want a quick headline. We all want simple yeah. answers. We all want to be able to boil you know, this information down to a simple headline. And when you look at the work of Dr. Erica Mallory-Blythe, you realize the detail and think thought and consideration into being very precise about what the science has proven and what the science hasn't proven. So I think it's really, really important to go straight to the, the most informed information. You know, it, it's it is a source of frustration, Richie. It very, it very much is um, very frustrating um, that people make up their minds, want a headline, and and sit on, you know, rest on that headline without actually looking and hearing and listening. Um, especially when there's a legal obligation 
to do that. You know, risk reconciliation is part of the European Electronics Communication Code, which is primary UK law. And the the locals have, you know, have to make an evidence-based decision. So they have to look at the evidence. We can't prejudge because of what we've been sold through through media advertising, you know, how wonderful all the benefits of 5G are going to be and you're a tinfoil hatter if you believe it's harmful. And this whole name of non-ionizing radiation, it sort of plants the seed that it can't do any damage, i.e. it's not ionizing, it's not the same as, you know, other forms of radiation, x-rays, etc. Whereas, in fact, the, the mechanisms for damage to DNA... Um, and oxidative stress, you know, 90% of the science shows that um, RFR causes oxidative stress. And, it, uh, you know, over time, oxidative stress leads to cancer. And the government would defend that by saying, oh, the body can adjust. Well, it can't adjust if you have an overload. You know, if why? there's no escape from it. Yeah, if exactly. there's no escape. Karen, let me remind our listeners, Karen Churchill is our guest. Karen is one of three claimants. Um, against um, pushing for demanding a, a judicial review into the rollout of 5G in this country. For more on this, go to actionagainst5g.com. And we can come back in a moment to the dot health org. problems. Excuse uh, me, dot dot org, org, dot org, you're right. But you know that yeah. dot com does direct to it as well. I found that oh, out today. Oh, good, excellent. Yeah, Pleased yeah. To hear that. So, so it's nice to know that, yeah. Um, yeah. As well as the health implications, and we can come back to those in a moment, you make a brilliant point as well that there are serious privacy and freedom concerns about this because 5G, we've been told, I remember all the advertisements on television when they started talking about 5G, you know, self-driving cars and and uh, connectivity and, uh, you know, facial recognition, which will help the police and all of that. But, but again, th- these are things that have just been almost dictated to society, dictated to us as these, these are great things and you're going to have them whether you like it or not. But I don't want um, thousands of satellites in space, you know, interconnecting everything, meaning that there isn't a place on planet Earth that I can go to be alone with my thoughts for, for a few minutes. There are serious privacy concerns here too. Absolutely, 100%. It, it, it's tyranny, technology tyranny, because we haven't got a choice. And sometimes there's a pretense of choice, and it's the pretense that I find really annoying and aggravating. You know, they'll do a consultation, but it, it's pre-decided. You know, what's the point in having a consultation if there's absolutely uh, no room for listening to what the people's choice and opinion are? If you, if you have 200 people saying they don't want to mask in a certain place, why is it that they don't have a, 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 any kind of influence on the decision? Um, and as you say, it, we don't want to be beamed. I mean, every organic cell is affected by RFR. You know, there's no protection for fauna and flora in the ICNOP guidelines. They're only just starting to think about it. Uh, or we might have a committee, you know, starting in December, you know, this month. Well, it's too late. They're, they're rolling it out. They should consider that before they roll it out. And, you know, in the sideline, the WHO is starting to experiment in mitigating the um, the radiation from 5G mast. And they found that indoor plants uh, fare much better if they, they steer the beam away from direct line of sight. Well, there you are. They're admitting That's and they an acknowledgement. Know That's that an acknowledgement. plant growth. 
So I didn't know, know that, Karen. Thanks for educating yeah. me. I didn't know that. So that's an acknowledgement on, on on the part of the World Health Organization that this is a problem. But the thing is, um, they they haven't put that on their website. They don't give you the meetings. They don't give you agenda. It was only by finding a South African report by one of the committee members um, that you, you you can find that information. And this is one of the things I'm saying to the government in our case. They're not being transparent about what they're doing. I mean, our case are claiming, oh, the WHO are updating their risk assessment. Well, that risk assessment, Richie, it's got 10 out of 34 health outcomes that's feeding into a um, risk assessment that may be available in another two years' time. Well, we're four years into the 5G rollout. And that, that research that's feeding into that risk assessment doesn't include research on, on 5G frequency, beamform frequencies anyway. But it's presented to the public that, oh, we've got it in hand. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That's outrageous. A medical, doctor, yeah. a medical doctor told me last year about 5G. I was trying to do the devil's advocate thing, do my job basically, so I was putting the other side to the medical doctor. Yeah. And I said to her, but look, um, you know, it has made it much quicker to download information. And, you know, this is the reason why people are so excited about it. You can download a film and blah, blah, blah in seconds. And she said to me, well, if you try to do that, you'll probably find that you can't. And I've got, I've, I've b- b- again, because of the show, not, not because I like them particularly, but I always have a, a late model smartphone. So, you know, a pretty new one. Yeah. And um, she's right. Um, it doesn't enable you to download. So, and and I've I've been really I, I've sent some emails out. I've been trying to get some comment on that from the local authorities here in Salford and in Manchester to say, well, hang on a second. Um, I'm doing again. I'm 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 no scientist, but my own little um, experiment and speaking with friends uh, is telling me that you it's not much better than 4G. You're not getting great download speeds well, and, and all okay. of that funny thing you should say that because uh, the BBC reported that last week. It was an article in the BBC and, and they were interviewing people all over the country and they were all complaining that they couldn't get the connectivity with 5G. It's not working. It's not performing. So yeah, I definitely encourage people to add that into their mast objections um, because when, when you object to a mast, you have to balance the, the benefit and the, the risks. So um, they have to justify uh, the need for it, uh, even though the government tell them they, that they, they, must, <laughs> they, they cannot question that. But at the, legally, that's what they have to weigh up. Now, what are the benefits? What are the risks? And, um, you know, there's another way to achieve fast connectivity using fiber. And and as you say, if five G is not working anyway, <laughs> yeah. not delivering the speeds that have been promised. Karen, thank you so much for mentioning fibre. The last time we spoke, you mentioned to me, and again, I didn't know this. And the reason I didn't know it is because I'm an idiot. I mean, I read the papers for for research for this program every day, and of course, I don't know this because the papers don't talk about it, but or, or write about it. You said to me last time you were on. Promises were made about fibre that have been reneged on by the government. They've just abandoned it, have they, or something yes, like that? Yes, definitely in our area. Yeah, absolutely. And we have to be careful of fibre because they might use it for backhauls. So, you know, there's people in our group that are a lot more technical than I am. But the principle is there. You know, you're, you're using short waves to, to beam a lot of in, uh, information, and it's not as efficient <laughs> And and it's energy guzzling, three to 
four times the energy consumption. Now we're supposed to be looking after, you yeah. know, this this reduction of energy, um, and and yet we're putting in a technology that uses three to four times the energy than the previous. And technology. Karen, who's paying for that? Does each individual local authority get that electricity bill? Well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I don't know how that works. It's something on our list, actually, to really delve into. As if you needed any more on the list, yeah, <laughs> to, to be looking into. <laughs> well, this is it. Let it's me remind our listeners, Karen Churchill is on the programme. Go to actionagainst5g.org. Um, judicial and review. If your listeners would like to come and support us on the, on the 13th, that would be really welcome. It'll be at the Strand, um, the, the High Court there, postcode WC2A2LL. As I say, it's, a two, uh, it's an all-day hearing. Um, we're going to meet outside the court at 9.15, and there will be an announcement when we come out of court, and then there will be a gathering and a meeting where Lorna Hackett, our legal advisor, will, will give an update on, on what happened in court. So um, it will be very interesting to to, you know, be able to report on the outcome of this challenge. Absolutely, and if you have any time later on that evening, you can come back on with me and, and, and update us as well. We've got Karen Churchill on the line. Look, um, I, I've known Chris Busby for years and years, and I've had him on many times. Not lately, I must give Chris a shout again. I got to know Chris many years ago when he did that brilliant research into the effects of depleted uranium in, um, in, ah, in Iraq. Um, right. A great guy, great scientist. Uh, his qualifications are impeccable but he's been attacked a few times over the years by the media. But I asked Chris a couple of years ago, I said, Chris, in theory, in theory, if somebody is suffering with a lung disease or if they've got emphysema or if they've just got a rotten respiratory infection, in theory, is it possible for this technology, for uh, millimetre wave technology, short wave technology, radiation, is it possible? And he said um, that he believed not only was it possible, but, but that it was probable for some people. What do you think when you hear that? It was probable that it would be harmful to them. He said not only was it possible that it could impact, um, you know, proximity to non-ionizing radiation, you know, oh, emitting yes. devices. Yes. He said not only is I it mean, possible, but he said it's probable for, probable. for, for some people, yes. yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it affects the, uh, the structure of the DNA and it, it affects the oxidative stress. It's, it's, it's thought to affect the, the uh, calcium and magnesium flow in the cells. So it, it impacts the biology of the body, um, absolutely. And at, at what point that develops into or impacts a, an ongoing disease process? Again, I'm not qualified to, to speak as a doctor, but I know Erica is. And uh, she, she'd be the best person to give you the, the medical detail of how it impacts. Yeah, that, but yeah. but the, the main thing to understand, I think, is the fact that non-ionizing has impacts. It, it's not inert. A lot of people think it has no impact, and that's not true. There's thousands of studies that show it has impacts. That, and the way the scientists hold out... Um, they, they wait until the science is repeated over and over again, and they wait until they understand the mechanism of the harm before they acknowledge the harm and include it in the guideline. And what we're saying is that that, that framework of uh, categorizing the effects of non-ionizing radiation has to change. 
And not only that, the parent organization of um, ICNRB is IRPA, which is the International Radiation Protection Association. They have a set of rules and ethics about how they set their limits for ionizing radiation. And when ICNRB uh, became a subsidiary of them, ICNRB agreed to, assert, to obey by those ethics. Now, they haven't obeyed by those ethics. They have a different methodology, which is more favorable to the telecommunications industry rather than it is to protect the public from the effects. And ICNRB is funded by the industry, isn't it? Um, I'm, I, they, they are it, it sort of, in theory, independent, but they do have links. If you look into the members, they do have links. So it's not directly funded, right. but there, there have been occasions where funding um, trails have been found, which did lead to one of their chairmen resigning um, some years ago. I forget his name for the moment. But um, I think uh, a lot of the scientific community are aware of the influence of the connection between ICNAB and industry. And but industry again, itself. I like to be very accurate when I talk about these things because... No, you're um, right. I do remember that. Yeah. I do remember yeah. I remember the yeah. resignation. So yeah, no, your, your memory is yeah. very good. Um, yeah. Quick comment from, from, from a couple of listeners. One um, from a listener who says, do ask Karen if she's aware of the British Clean Air Act. And uh, there are there is a lobby group called Britons for a Clean Atmosphere and that is uh, that lobby group is campaigning for EMR uh, emissions or EMF emissions to be looked at in the British Clean Air Act. Do you know anything Ooh, about that? No, I'll, I'll make a note of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Britain's for a clean fantastic. atmosphere. Yeah, that's that, yeah. that's really interesting. And here's the one, and I've heard one or two stories like this. I think they're, I think they're genuine too. Um, back in September, on the 9th of September, in fact, in a school in Northern Ireland. Um, three. There was an assembly with about 850 children present at the assembly. 31 of them, uh, it was an assembly about the Queen's death. So 31 kids was there, fainted, basically, and really? were hard to rouse, yeah. Really? Um, so the school emphasised that, you know, the parents should get their acts together and they should make sure the kids had eaten breakfast before going to school. Uh, the fainters were all aged between 12 and 13, um, yet there was an equal number of children present at the time, all aged between 11 to 18. I found it strange, says Lucy, whose child was there, but it was swept away very promptly by the school. And I'm presuming that there's a 5G mast near the school, hence the, uh, hence the comment, yeah. We're back well, to this is, I mean, the schools are supposed to be doing risk assessment. These Wi-Fi boxes in schools are often over-specified, they're overpowered. Um, you know, I, I've got a friend following well up in, in Dublin and he, he worked with the school because the, all the children were getting sick at lunchtime, coming home with headaches, couldn't function. And he was actually a Wi-Fi expert and brought Wi-Fi to Ireland and uh, incredibly informed. And th there was a refusal to show him the risk assessment and um, a refusal to alter the power. But he, he's very hot on on on. on communicating the fact that a risk assessment needs to be done and, you know, they can be turned down. There's too many uh, Wi-Fis. Um, it's very important to, to, to check the hotspots, the interference patterns between the different devices. Another school in Bath had this problem. The children were all had sick bags at lunch. 
eventually, after about a year and a half of campaigning, they found uh, a hotspot with the outside mast interfering with the the Wi-Fi. So they eventually turned the Wi-Fi down. I think I don't think they managed to get it wi-fi, uh, wired, but they did have it turned down, and the problem was solved. So you're absolutely right, Richie. This it's absolutely vital that this case brings a breakthrough in the duty to inform um, because without knowing many a school wouldn't know that that's a possible no. cause no they wouldn't they, you know, they put clear. it down to other things and there's simple solutions I mean to wire up a school would be slightly inconvenient it would maybe a little bit expensive but um, if it's going to prevent sickness in the children and this general degradation of concentration, of learning ability, of, of mood, it affects irritability and depression. Um, these links, we have to be able to make the link without going into fear and, and get practical and find the solutions. There are solutions, there are ways forward, but we have to get through this, this mental block and this <laughs> governmental block which is preventing people from acknowledging there's a problem. Um, well, look, good know, luck next Tuesday, um, Karen. I mean, this is a it's a big deal. This, of course, is a big deal. Action against five G dot org. Remind our listeners where this is happening next Tuesday, tomorrow week, the thirteenth of December. Where is it happening, and how can they attend? It's a, it's at the Strand. Um, we don't we haven't been allocated courts, so we don't know how big the public gallery is, and it's likely to be a very small room. But there will be an opportunity to gather outside uh, at 9:15. There'll be a gathering in a park nearby at 12 o'clock, and then we can't say what time it will be finished. But we, when we come out, we'll make an announcement, and uh, we'll put on our website where the uh, post hearing gathering will be hopefully it'll be in a cozy location close by yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, um, well just the absolute very best of luck to it and to everybody involved michael mansfield heading that up on on behalf of you and, and the other claimants it's action against 5g.org thanks karen for coming back thanks, on to talk to us you, about it. it's massively lovely important to talk to you. no really it's lovely, lovely to talk to you Love thanks, your Karen. show and keep up the good work. You're very <laughs> kind. Thanks a lot. Karen Churchill live on Monday's Richie Allen radio show, actionagainst5g.org for more on that judicial review taking place a week tomorrow, uh, headed up by Michael Mansfield, who was on this programme a couple of years ago talking about child sex abuse, if I remember. Right, it's a minute past six. Thanks again to Karen and Godspeed to her and to uh, everybody involved in that. I'll be speaking with Rebecca Barrett uh, from Ireland's National Party really soon. Looking forward to that too. A lot to get into there. Keep those comments coming in. Claire Conway got in touch to say, I contacted my local council who stated no risk assessment was required prior to locating the mast in our village and next to a school, said Claire. Thank you. Uh, Von Lotsov says, Richie, the connectivity of 5G is not meant for us, the common folk, so we won't get to high speeds. It's for the surveillance, monitoring and real-time tracking 
uh, tracking cities that are coming in. Your 15-minute district will be watching you. He says, thanks uh, so much for, for that comment. Uh, comment live, richieallen.co.uk. Scaramouche says, the media will not speak out against 5G because it uses the same technology. Patrick is in Lincolnshire and uh, says, I don't recall ever seeing a 5G tower since I've been here, but I'm sure that within most cities, the effects can be devastating, especially those that have been jabbed and are vulnerable to the waves, says Patrick. Uh, thank you for that, Patrick. It's um, two minutes past six. Let's take a tune back with much more, including uh, Rebecca Barrett, who will be live on the line from Dublin. Or is it Wicklow? We'll ask her when she gets here. That's what we'll do. This is She and Him. And why do you let me stay here? Colds, seasonal flu and respiratory diseases, a nuisance, but we all get them. Now more than ever, it is essential to have a robust immune system. Inspired by the Zelenko Protocol, Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. As a special launch offer to UK listeners of The Richie Allen Show, you will receive a discount of 15% by using the code RichieAllen365 at checkout. Go to immunex365.co.uk to get yours now and with free two-day track delivery. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yes, Eamon that runs immunex365.com is a great guy and is a big supporter of the independent media. That's I've, I've told you that before. I'm telling you that again. I'm not telling you to buy the super male vitality pills or any of that garbage. But I'm just telling you, um, by choosing Eamon's product over another supplement, um, you're supporting the independent media, including this program, Immunex365.com. It's Monday's show. And as always, it's a genuine pleasure to be with you. Some very, very cold weather coming in. Arctic ice coming down from the Arctic, funnily enough. It's going to make running funny. And it's a bit earlier than usual. Ordinarily, the footpaths, they don't get too icy until around mid to late January. But uh, we'll have icy footpaths and roads later this week, if not in the middle of the week. So there you go. Millie says, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, the definition of a democracy is, quote, the belief in freedom. That says it all. We have a belief we are free. Wordplay. I laugh out loud, says Millie. Indeed, no democracy. No democracy. Shambhala says, ah, it's just such a privilege to live in a death, a death cultocracy. 5G, and that's a Masonic G, is for nefarious purposes and nothing to do with the benefit of the slaves, says Shambhala. Thank you so much for that. Shall we get Rebecca Barrett on the line? I think it's about time that we did. She was on this programme around about July last year, if memory serves. And uh, I'm glad that she's agreed to come back on. Before we welcome Rebecca back, allow me to read you this from Conor Gallagher in the Irish Times, okay? 
So he said protesters objecting to asylum seeker accommodation in East Wall, Dublin, blocked traffic again on Friday with organisers promising more disruptive demonstrations to come. And he goes on to write about motorists were advised to avoid the East Wall Road and Dublin Tunnel and so on. He went on to describe the protests and he mentioned Malachi Steenson, uh, one of the organisers who said that um, more demonstrations will happen this coming week bringing the city to a standstill. And I mentioned this at the very top of the programme. Um, it didn't take long into the article for the cheap, you know, the cheap shot from Conor Gallagher of the Times. He writes, as well as local residents, the protests have attracted various far-right and anti-immigration campaigners from around the country. Lazy journalism is alive and well, not just here in Blighty, but also in in God's country, in Ireland. Let's welcome back to the programme. Um, uh, primary school teacher, mum, homeschooling these days, and activist for Ireland's National Party. It's a pleasure to welcome Rebecca Barrett back to the show. How are you, Rebecca? Oh, I'm good. Thank you very much for having me back on again. It's it's great to get to come on and talk once again. It is. Um, and you've had Longford. A... I'm from Longford. You're from Longford originally, <laughs> I've are heard you? you there, uh, originally, I'm from Limerick. And myself and my husband, we live in Longford now. Oh, you live in Longford now, not the capital, or Wicklow, as I incorrectly yeah. said earlier on no. my apologies. Thanks no. for the correction. <laughs> it's great to have you back. It was last July, I think. And since then, you've had another wee bobby. What? Haven't you? You've had a, you've had a, you've had we a... have, yeah. We have a six-month-old now. Fantastic. So it's manic, I would imagine. Yeah, a fourth the... boy. A fourth boy. It is. <laughs> but the good kind of manic. The good kind. The good kind of manic. Yes, the yes. Fun... We're busy, but, you know. Tell yeah. me this, Rebecca. Um... Look, is it a source of frustration to be characterised or caricatured even in the national media constantly as anti-immigration and far-right and this all this sort of jazz? Does it become tiresome or does it just wash off you at this stage? Well, I suppose it depends because, I mean, I would classify the National Party as far-right. I wouldn't classify us as extreme but I would classify us as far right and I would classify us as anti-immigration. And I mean, we're not just anti-illegal immigration, we're anti-mass immigration. There is just too much immigration into this country and it's just completely out of control. So, I mean, they're, they're, oddly enough, they've stumbled upon the truth. We we are very anti-immigration. It's it, And I mean, all it takes is for people to look, look around and to see that it's just not working. There are just too many people from different countries in our country using up the resources that our own Irish people need. And there just isn't the space. There just aren't the homes for them. Like at, at the moment, there's over 11,000 um, people, Irish people, who are homeless. And we've been told, you know, they can't find homes for them. The government can't do it. They're doing their best. They're doing whatever they can do. And just to take Ukrainians, um, there have been 65,000, over 65,000 Ukrainians brought in since the beginning of the year. And yet they have found homes for those people. But they have not found homes for the Irish people. So... Uh, it's just you have to take care of your own people first. I mean, whatever about helping people from other countries, I'm, I mean, I'm all about helping people. We're all about a limited number of people from countries with compatible cultures as ours. But there have to be limits and it just can't be this free for all. And it's just gone completely out of hand. So in terms of like um, the media, you know, classifying us as anti-immigration, I mean, we are anti-immigration and we're proud to be anti-immigration because we're very we're pro-Irish people. That's what we are. 
Yeah, there's no context to it, though, with the media. That's the point I'm making. It's just yeah. a catch-all term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Far right. And look, mm-hmm. look they, they've, they've built up a picture, I think, in people's minds over the years that far right is a skinhead, you know, who's aggressively screaming at people. <laughs> let let, let <laughs> me do my job, right? Because everybody knows I've got some sympathy with you, but let me do the fair thing. Look, um, there will be some listeners mm-hmm. listening to this who will say, the claim that when asylum seekers come into the country... They get um, housing and houses and flats prioritised above Irish people. That's a dog whistle. That's what some people say. It's a dog whistle. It's typical of anti-immigration parties. Is there any proof of it that these people get, you know, instant access to to a house, to a proper house? Here's the keys over an Irish person who's been on that list for many years. Is there proof of that? Well, well, let me tell you this. Um, The... Anybody who has come, just specifically from the Ukraine for a second, anybody who has come from the Ukraine is not an asylum seeker. They are not being classified as an asylum seeker. They are just straight away given asylum. And anybody who has been granted asylum, they, um, they're they under the International Protection Agency. Um, anybody who is the beneficiary of international protection is entitled to the same conditions applicable to Irish citizens, the same medical care and the same social welfare benefits. They are entitled to everything the Irish people are getting. So Irish people should be getting, you know, they should be getting homes. They should be getting places to go, but they're not. And it's just a fact that these people are housed above Irish people. They are housed first. They just, I mean, the Ukrainian people, it's such a complete, and I I don't mean to harp just completely about the Ukrainian people, but it's just the most recent one is they have just been completely prioritized. And the fact that they have been able to find homes for them, there aren't like, everybody I mean even the toy show we talk about the toy show I I didn't actually watch it with my children I don't let my children watch it but even on the toy show I have seen subsequently there was um a child on it and she had her little friend on who was a little Ukrainian girl um and they had been housed in her house so it's an extreme priority for the Irish government to house people from other countries and I don't know what their problem is I don't know do, do like the Irish government do they just want to make think it makes us look good do they want to make friends with these countries I don't know what their problem is but they do not prioritize the Irish people and they should be prioritizing the Irish people and it's just a fact that the other people they are taken care of and our own people aren't tell us a bit more about what's been going on in in Dublin as far as you understand it I talked about it a few minutes ago as, as by way of introducing you the east wall um a protest activists would prefer that the old ESB building there is not used to house asylum seekers. Um, Why are they so um, set against that? The main reason is that any of these places where um, these asylum seekers have been brought in, it's generally military aged men, men, grown men that should not have left their country. If there is something in their country they're supposed to be fighting against, how come they've left their children and their women there and they've come over here? And there seems to be a lot of um, socially unacceptable behaviour from these people as well in the area. They're intimidating women. They, their their cultures clash with our cultures. Their their cultural norms and they have an incompatible. Their cultural norms are not the same as our cultural norms, and they have an incompatible culture with ours. And they have no respect for women. They don't seem to have any respect for general civilized standards. And it's just it's it's atrocious for the people who live in this area. They don't feel safe. There's young teenage girls and they don't feel safe going out. They just don't feel, and I don't mean going out at night, I mean literally going out in the daytime. Um, it's just, it's it, people do not feel safe in their own country. They feel like they these from, people Rebecca? have been bust in. 
Yeah, go on. No, no, my apologies for interrupting you there. No, the yeah, in the in the ESB building, East Wall area, mm-hmm. where predominantly, where are these men from? Is it Eastern Europe? Is it Asia? Is it Africa? Um, it's Asia, as far as I'm aware, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent certain. That's as far as I'm aware, that's where they're from. But it's, it you know what I mean? It, it is an, an incompatible culture. But in, in terms of like Eastern Europe as well, there has to be a limit to the number of people that come from there as well. We don't have a problem. It's not specifically one place we have a problem with people coming from. It's, it's everywhere because we only have a finite number of resources. And if you yeah. use them up, then they're used. You can't get a rational... And, and nobody wants to allow a rational discussion on this particular subject. Enoch Powell's name was was brought up again last week or the week before. For listeners don't know, um, he, he he's, he's dead, Enoch Powell, but he was a, a British MP... Uh, an intellectual as well and and back in the 1970s he delivered the famous Rivers of Blood speech where he he spoke about what would happen if migration was to continue unfettered into the UK and what I'm struck by is looking back at the old television clips from that era people could have rational and you know pretty intellectual debates about these things but we we don't those things are not allowed anymore i mean you can't there isn't a a media organization like rt won't speak to someone like yourself rebecca or justin in a rational way i mean it doesn't sound irrational to me um to to ask the question of your government listen when we're not spending on vital public services for our own people, including dealing with homelessness and building houses for our own people, how can we prioritise people who've come into the country, sometimes legally, but more often than not, illegally? How can we How can yeah. we put up with that? But there's well, no room for any... It's straight away it's the true. race they're, card they're is played. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's dreadful, really, isn't it? And uh, for, 40, 40% of asylum seekers destroy or they refuse to hand over their passports when they arrive to Ireland. Now, there's a reason they're doing that. Like, they're not genuine asylum seekers. For, and at 40%, I mean, that's quite high. Uh, they refuse to hand over their passports because they don't, they're not, they're not genuinely seeking asylum. They see Ireland as this place that they can come to and be given all these this stuff for free. And, and it's just, it's not right. And the refugees, the statistics even show that it's getting worse and worse and worse. Like, in 2018, we just had over 6,000 um, uh, refugees. And then 2019, 7,000. 2020, not 9,000. And then 2021, not over 9,500. It's increasing. We don't have 2022, but it's increasing and increasing and it's just getting worse and worse. And I mean, where, where is it going to end? How, how is this going to, like, what, when, it's do like people, a large village when are people or, allowed to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when are people allowed to speak about it? I, um, yeah, exactly. I mean this when I say this. I don't blame, like if you're in Albania, or if you're in other parts of, of Eastern Europe, and the prospects are not great there, I don't blame uh, the chaps from getting in the boats and coming over because the benefit system is better um, and the prospects mm-hmm. are better. So I want to say that, because I'm a migrant, I'm an immigrant in, in the UK, and I mm-hmm. do mean that. Um, and, and the reason I'm saying that is because I think there's something larger at play here, Rebecca. And what, and what I mean by mm-hmm. that is, I think that the, the, the migration is being weaponized. They want, I think, people like you and me. I think, you, I think you're far too clever for it, to be honest. I'm not patronizing you. But they want us to turn our ire 
on the men and women coming in yeah. and not look at why it's happening and who it's benefiting. And I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. can't see that. But for me, it's weaponized. It's a divide and conquer thing because there are other agendas at play, the sexualization <laughs> of children. Uh, um, yes. that, you, you know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. The, the whole great, great reset agenda. So I don't know if there's an opportunity being missed, but I don't know if we can communicate with people coming in to Ireland, coming into Britain to say to them, listen, you're just as much of a victim as we are. But it doesn't yes, change yes. the fact that it, 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 it makes life infinitesimally more difficult for, for the, the ethnic people of the country. You know, when, when yes, this happens, it does. It, yeah. it's a bloody nuanced issue, this, isn't it? It's not black and white, this, no pun intended. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I agree with you. You can't blame the people who leave a country that's like an unpleasant country to be in. You can't blame them. Of course you can't. But it's like I gave this analogy when I was running in the general election. I, I gave this analogy on uh, some I was interviewed for some radio program and they asked me you know, to explain basically our stance on immigration as simply as I could. And I gave the example of your country is like your family. And if I have, I'm a mother, I have children. If I have food, I have to feed my children first. I can't go next door and feed the neighbor's children and let my children starve. My responsibility is to my children. And the Irish government's responsibility is to their people, the Irish people. And yes, it's great to help other people. And it would be lovely if I had enough food to go and help the neighbor's children as well. But I can't just go and feed them and leave my children starve and say, oh, aren't I great because I'm helping them. You know what I mean? And, and of course, it's not the children over there's fault that they're hungry. But I have to feed my children first. It's just what I have to do. It's my duty. It's it's they're my it's my responsibility, and we need to look after our own people first. Yeah, if you've paid tax and national insurance contributions for years, you should be entitled, <laughs> at least that you're not going to, you know, lose your place when it comes to education or healthcare because you know, some undocumented um, workers have come into the country looking for work. No doubt about that. As far as asylum goes, Rebecca, where would the National mm -hmm. Party be on, you know, when when someone is coming from a country where they are mm -hmm. um, genuinely in fear of their life because of their sexual orientation, because of their religion, maybe? What, how, how would the mm -hmm. National Party kind of see that person? Is there a place for that man or woman in Ireland when it can genuinely be proven that their life is in danger? Um, well, I suppose it would, it would depend, obviously, on the, on the very specific specifics in that circumstance. Um, I mean, obviously, if they were genuine and if it could be proven that they were genuine, but the majority of asylum seekers, they actually fail they they don't they don't pass and then they appeal and then they appeal again and they appeal again so there are very few genuine asylum seekers and of course you'd have to look at the genuine ones and you'd have to take that into account and you would have to treat them appropriately you would of course have to take care of people who need to be taken care of i mean we're all human beings and we need to take care of people who need help but you'd have to be like you said you'd have to be 100 percent certain that this was genuine and i mean at the same time, even with, within doing that, we still would have to prioritise our own people first. We still would have to prioritise Irish children. We don't want them homeless. We don't want them on the streets eating off a, a paper plate like you've seen so many of those photographs of children. It's just, of course, we would have to um, take care of people who would need to be taken care of, but our people need to be taken care of too. Some really interesting comments on this. Um, Caroline yeah. says, I read the other day England has had 450,500 this year alone. 
she's she's right. The net migration figure for the UK this year. So you take the number of people coming in away from the number of people who have left. The net migration figure here is nearly half a million. I mean, that's the city the size of Swansea wow. or Cardiff in the UK, and we have the same problems here as you do in Ireland. Yeah. Corrupt governments, you know, supporting Ukraine with weapons uh, to, to keep that war going in Ukraine with Russia when that's just completely destroying the economy. We could be here all day talking about that. Colin says, Rebecca is a great guest, but the Irish government is dancing to Europe's tune. It's all part of the agenda to dilute the gene pool and keep people divided, says Colin. But I think you'd agree with that, Rebecca. Yeah, I would The European Union yeah, agenda. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ira exit. We could talk about yeah. that in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> Let, let's move away from immigration for a minute. Look, I, I, I have great sympathy with your position and the position of people in this country. I hate the fact mm-hmm. that um, you know people are labelled as racists and bigots when they're asking a, a very important and a very fair question. Why, when, in, in a time of such um, want, in a time of such uh, where, where the resources are not there, why are you prioritising others as opposed to your own people? Um John says, look at what has happened in Sweden in the last year. This is, uh, sorry, John Heffernan. Look at what has happened in Sweden in the last 20 years. Overrun, uh, says John. We, we have a real issue here, and you being a teacher, this is really interesting having you on, in this country with relationship and sex education. You know, you, you'll know this, uh, of course, oh. Rebecca. The law has changed in this country, and parents are no longer yes. allowed to opt their children out of anything they deem to be inappropriate. And children as young as four, five, six, seven in this country are being exposed. In fact, it was a big story last week, which did make uh, the mainstream media here about um, uh, about children being exposed to photographs and and um, and uh, stories. Children as young as eight about ejaculation and masturbation and stuff like this. Um, the Balenciaga thing, this big fashion brand of Balenciaga, this big chain, which uh, I think is Parisian and uh, has done very well in recent years to be making um, advertising campaigns with, with, with children, with um, bondage gear and stuff like this. What's going on? You're a teacher, you're a mother. Where is this stuff coming from? I can't believe that somebody could see that Balenciaga advertising campaign and and not realise how sinister it is and just pass it off and say, yes, that's okay, go with that. What's, how, how do you view this, Rebecca? Yeah. I think the average person was actually shocked by that. And I think yeah. it was kind of an awakening for a good few people. They kind of saw that and they went like, hold on a minute. Somebody has made a big mistake here. This is, I think they've pushed it too far. I think they, that might've been them pushing it a little bit too far. Um, no, a- absolutely. Like the sexualization of children, it's incredible. And it's been, it's kind of been a slow process, but they're, they're speeding it up now all of a sudden. I mean, with this, this drag queen story hour, you know, in, um, in libraries and stuff like that it, and in bookshops. And you're, you're also, once again, you're like, you're a bigot and you're a dreadful person if you don't want to bring your children to a sexualized show. I don't want to bring my small children to listen to a book. And also, I mean, I got into this with, with a, a, a some drag queen on Twitter. I, I don't want my children, first of all, reading the books that they're reading to them because they're reading them these bizarre books. They're not even, they're reading them sexualized books. They're not even like picking up uh, the Gruffalo or something and reading a children's book. They're all read, they're books they're, they've chosen even have an agenda. You know, everything is pushing, pushing. And the children in this country, they just, they're, they're not protected. They're not protected enough at all. They're seen they're second class citizens in this country when it comes to like the, the HSE, when it comes to everything and parents aren't being allowed to protect their children. Like my my um, sister-in-law, her 
uh, what age is he? He's four. Uh, five, he's five now. He's just turned five. Um, is in junior infants. And they got sent home the information about uh, the program that they were going to be doing for the RSE. Um, and it was the Stay Safe program. Now, I, I, when I was teaching, I remember them discussing this. I haven't taught now in a while, but when I was teaching, I remember them discussing the fact that the Stay Safe program like wasn't appropriate. It wasn't, we, we were going to ditch that because it wasn't appropriate. And I was shocked to see that they were actually going to be doing that like in the year 2022. Yeah. And she sent me some information on it and I had a read through it. And like, these are four-year-olds and five-year-olds. And some of the stuff that was in it was just the only word I can use is something that a groomer would present to children. There was stuff in it about um, about what, whether it was a good touch or a bad touch and how, you know, you can touch your, yourself in private and these, these might be good touches. I mean, what four-year-old or five-year-old needs to hear this? It's just, what? why are they telling them this? They're telling them this because they want there to be less of a barrier if an adult suggests that they might do something is to, that what you they think, want their, to break down the child's barrier. Is that what you think? I think because, so, absolutely. Because I, there is another I, argument. Yes. The other argument is is that times are different than when you, I mean, you're younger than I am, but when we were kids, yeah. <laughs> uh, times were more innocent. We, we weren't exposed to as much, right? We didn't have devices like phones and tablets and laptops. We didn't have the internet. So the other argument is that it's not about making children more accessible to paedophiles, but it, it is in fact about dealing with the reality that children are going to encounter these um, um, ideas and these topics much earlier than ever before and that the intervention is not a bad thing. Go ahead. Except as, yeah, there's a few things there. The first of which being, this is a typical liberal thing to do. They create the problem and then they come up with the solution which is even worse than the problem in the first place like they are the ones who have sexualized society in general and they have made you know the world the way it is the, the way the reason like there's pornography and everything in, in children's faces all the time like on television on on youtube everywhere the reason everything is so inappropriate for children and and it's not a safe or place for children to live is because of this ideology and their solution to that is well let's teach our children more about it that's that's just not that's like just not going to work at all and of course, we need to protect our children. And like I had this this conversation, I had a phone conversation with my sister-in-law about what she was going to do because she wasn't sure was she going to opt her son out or not. And she, she couldn't decide. And I said, you have to weigh it up. You, Of course, you have to protect your son because she's she's not able to, to stay at home with her children. She has two children. She's not able to stay at home and homeschool them. She does send them to school. And she she needs to keep them safe when they're in a classroom. They obviously need to be aware of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And they need to be protected so they need a certain amount of information, but it's a balance of giving your children enough information to keep them safe without ruining their innocence. Because children that age don't need to hear that there are grown-ups who want to sexualize them. They don't. They, they're too young to understand that. That's you've destroyed a four-year-old's innocence. You know there has to be a better way to keep your child safe than to tell them there is an adult All who wants to think about you sexually. I mean. Yeah, there's a really interesting lady who comes on this program. I, I, I think you'd you'd have a lot in common, but but she she might take a different view uh, on that. A former teacher whose own children were were groomed and abused by by their teacher, yes. and she comes on this program and she says that there there is now she doesn't speak to four, five, and six year old children, but she talks to teenagers <laughs> about grooming and about how to watch out for it because it's a reality. Just on the liberals, liberals might say. Give us a break, Rebecca. We didn't invent the internet. We certainly didn't invent pornography sites that are there, you know, at the tip of the fingers yeah. of children. So they might say, give us a break here. It's not our fault. We, we, didn't, we didn't put pornographic websites out there. I mean, you know, and, that, and, that, and that's, that's a good point as no, well. No, they're I mean, it's normalizing. 
yeah, but they're 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 normalizing it, and they're they they're intent on like even just normal TV programs on the television. Everything there's there's far more inappropriate scenes in like children's films and children's programs, and there's just like they they can't just have a children's program just be entertaining for the children. There's always a message behind it. There's always some propaganda behind it. It's always they're always pushing some agenda in, from what I have seen in children's programs. Let me jump in it's, there. Let um, me, let, let's have an, an argument. Yeah. I, love, I love having arguments. Rebecca Barrett is our guest. It's lovely <laughs> It's lovely to have Rebecca back on. It really is. For more on the National Party, on Porty Noshunta, by the way, it's nationalparty.ie um, for the policies and what the party stands for. Rebecca is live on the line from Longford. That told me at the start of the interview. I'll have to write that down for next time. <laughs> so uh, it's good to have Rebecca on. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm no liberal, Rebecca. I, I used to identify as a Bolivarian socialist you know I'm a big fan of Salvador Allende and Chavez and people like that so so that's me mm-hmm. L- lately one of the Buzz Lightyear movies or the Toy Story movies had a gay character in it now there was there was a, there was a bit of there was a bit of a reaction from the right to that and I don't go mm-hmm. kind of looking for these arguments but I like to be quite I like to be as balanced as I possibly can be and I thought to myself right here's a reality here is a reality and um, we, we, we do live amongst gay men and women. So if one major Hollywood production release this year has a gay character in it, what the bloody hell is wrong with that? You know, kids are going to find out or they're going to meet gay people one way or another sooner um, rather than later. So where you have the occasional gay character in mainstream, even if it's in, you know, a, a cartoon that's meant for children, I don't think it's the end of the world. But you think I'm probably wrong. Go ahead. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world, but I do disagree with you. And I think the main thing that it comes down to is whether or not you think homosexuality is a psychological disorder or not. And we don't have hate speech laws yet. So I can say that I I am of the opinion and a lot of educated people are of the opinion that it is a psychological disorder. There is it's a perversion. There is something not correct. With homosexuality. In my opinion, it is not something that is natural. It is not something that should be promoted to children, to anybody. It's And by presenting it in their cartoons with these characters, you're telling them that it's a normal, possible way for them to live. And I don't think that's appropriate. No, I think they're, they're saying to children that this is reality, that you will, you know, encounter a gay man or a gay woman because gay men and gay women do exist. Like even if you, and, and I'm guessing as a Christian, it's, it's, it's a strong Christian view you have that, that homosexuality mm-hmm. is, is a disorder. I strongly disagree with that. And I'm no liberal, by the way. Um, I, I don't believe that mm-hmm. yeah, it's perversion. Yeah. I believe it's a natural occurrence. And, and, and that's how I feel about it. I'm glad we don't have hate speech laws that would see you, um, you know, arrested or, or prosecuted for that. Because, um, I mean, if we mm-hmm. get there, we're in serious we're in serious trouble. No, I would just argue that, you know, a child seeing a, a character like a boy or a girl, teenager maybe, who is attracted to a member of the same sex, well, that's something that they're going to have to accept because it's out there, it's real, it, you know, it's been around for thousands of years. That's the point I was making. But you can't put, you could, that argument doesn't work when you apply it to other things because you could say, um, well, pick an even more controversial topic. You could say abortion. You know, you could say, well, abortion is now happening in Ireland anyway. So let's put abortion into every pro- every cartoon, every program that children watch. Yeah. You can't just say just because it's happening and they're going to have to get used to it. It should be in their their children's programs. Some things are just not appropriate. I like, and there is the other thing. I um don't identify myself as heterosexual. That is not, you know, that's not who I am. Yeah. I am just a woman. I that I don't identify myself by my sexuality. 
whereas a homosexual person, a gay person, a lesbian person, that's what they are. They say, I am a gay person. And it's like, is, is there nothing more to you? Do you want to, why does that have to be the most important thing? So why in a children's program can we not just have just it's the least it's the least yeah the point i would make there you said if we start seeing abortion um in in children's you said if we start seeing it everywhere you you said you said that would be promotion i would agree with you what where it comes to children's mm-hmm. cartoon films you don't see gay characters in every one of them in fact you don't see gay characters in very many of them at all now if we started seeing a slew of children's films aimed at preteens where there were gay characters constantly i would be more open minded to the idea that there is some sort of promotion going on there but i i, I haven't seen it at, at the moment to be honest and uh, but, that, but 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 that's just me but this is where it starts you see that this is the start and if they don't get the pushback now they continue and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and they continue. You know, they test it out. They test the waters. They start with a couple of things and a couple of programs and a couple of things on Netflix and, you know, just a couple of small series and stuff like that. And then they do a Disney film, a Buzz Lightyear film. And then, it, you know, it progresses and then it's commonplace. And um, it, it's if they don't get the pushback initially, you know what I mean? So that's why I would speak against it now. I would speak up about it now at this point before it gets even further. And let me ask you this. I mean, I've, I've made my position clear and it's, it's, it's it's well known to people who listen to this program. I mean, I, I've worked very closely with gay men before. I've looked into this over the years. Gay men and lesbian women have been around for thousands of years. It's an anomalous thing more than anything. I, I, I certainly don't believe there's any perversion. And some of the best people I've ever known and, and do know are gay men and women. What um, should be done? This is not me baiting you now in any way. It isn't. I'm enjoying speaking with you. I'm delighted you're on the show and I hope you'll come back. Uh, so I'm not trying to bait you or set you up. What would you do with mm-hmm. gay people? I mean, what 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 would your thing be to do? To ignore them? To pretend? Well, not an- to pretend. I shouldn't uh, no, say. No, I can answer that. I can Go answer ahead. that very straightforward. I have a very straightforward answer for that. I was I've been asked that on Twitter numerous times, and the way I've actually been asked it is in the most like hyperbolic way. Is I've been asked what would I do if one of my children came to me and said, you know, Mom, I'm gay. If if one of my children came to me and said that they were gay or, or homosexual, I, I would get them psychological help because it is a disorder. There is something wrong there. There is some sexual element. There's something gone wrong in your brain, something that needs to be fixed. It's a, it, there is, it is not natural. It's not correct. Something needs to be fixed. You need help. And generally, when it comes to people who are homosexual, they're not happy. They have higher suicide rates than than any other section of society and of course they'll say it's because of people like me you know who are who are horrible to them and everything but i'm not horrible to anybody i'm not horrible to anybody but whatever way they present themselves i'm not horrible to them i just accept the fact that what they actually need is help they actually need somebody to talk to them go through this think it through find out where is this coming from what's the source of this i mean whether they've been abused in as a child whether i don't know they, but they need somebody, a, someone who's trained to go through this with them and try and help them. Do you know the, they don't need to be like encouraged. Yeah, the, the, the gay men I know, um, some of the happy, I'm not just saying this, some of the happiest people mm-hmm. yeah, I've ever met in monogamous relationships for years and years and years. Um, the, one, mm-hmm. the, the gay men I know are, are my age and older and they wouldn't, um, mm-hmm. they wouldn't have you silenced or anything like it. They wouldn't have um, you shut down or censored because of your opinion but they would say that look you're 
ideology comes from your faith and your belief in, in your God and they will say there's no evidence that God existed and they would say, listen, gay men and gay women have been around forever. Yes, of course, it's anomalous because the majority of people are straight, but it's almost chaos theory. You're bound to get the exception to the rule. There's always been gay men and women and I, 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 I uh, yeah, I... I I was going to say something that's gone right out of my bloody head there now. But um, I'm not so sure. I mean, oh, you did mention, yeah, sorry, that's what I was going to say. It's come back to me now. I mean, you talked about getting help for, um, for, mm-hmm. for your child. But as far as I understand, that's not something you could do because haven't, hasn't conversion therapy been outlawed? It has been here in the UK anyway. I don't know about Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about conversion therapy. I'm not talking about, I mean, I'm not talking about showing images and making them vomit when they look at images. I'm not talking about anything like that. Yeah. I'm talking about getting to the root of it. I'm talking about getting, going back. Like, I mean, everybody could benefit from going back to the to their childhood and going through it and seeing what issues they have. But in my opinion, it is a, a presentation of a psychological disorder. It is showing you that there is something that went wrong at some point in your life and you need to look at it and you need to address it and you need to figure out why am I here? How did I get here? And I honestly believe that by do, doing that and by recognizing that you 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 can't act like this. I mean, uh, people have impulses and you, you just can't always act on them. I mean, like even take, to take a child, like a child might just want to eat ice cream all day and not have any dinner. But yeah. you can't always just do whatever you like. You can't just act on your impulses. Some things are just not healthy for you. Some things are just not good for you. Some things are just wrong and you just can't do them. Before and we, it, sorry, it, If it's damaging you. Yeah, but it's never, I mean, I mean um, being gay hasn't damaged any gay man or woman that I know. But before, because I want to ask you, a lot of, of I want to ask you something else. Um, I want to move on to something else. My, my final question on yeah. this would be, um, faith, faith not, notwithstanding, do you not leave that? I mean, can you, do you have, I, I can't find my words tonight. Can you, do, do you leave, can you leave any room? for the possibility that you might be wrong, that this might be naturally occurring phenomena. When you have millions and millions and millions of babies born, you're bound to have exceptions to the rules. And we've seen this in the animal community. So can you not just, would you not say, I can leave some room, Richie, for the possibility that I might be wrong? Well, the problem is, first of all, I can't just leave my faith aside. I can't just go, oh, I don't believe, you know, I can't just dismiss it. It's not possible. That's the problem with having faith. It's, it's, too it's too wrapped up in who I am you know what I mean I can't just go apart from that that that's ridiculous for me to do that I wouldn't be able to do that but also I mean just because something occurs in nature it doesn't mean that it's a good thing it doesn't mean that it's healthy it doesn't mean like many people like some people are are you know they're born with a a disability or they're they're yeah but but it doesn't mean that it's healthy it doesn't mean that it's a positive thing just because let's say I might be born and, and I might not be able to hear properly or something like that or even my own self I wear glasses right so my vision isn't perfect that's happened nature has done that that's just happened nature doesn't you know get everything 100% perfect all of the time but you do what you can to help yourself and to make yourself healthy and to live the best life that you can and in my opinion a homosexual lifestyle does not benefit uh, a human being it is not it does not create positive interactions social interactions for them it's unhealthy there it's just it's not a good way to live your life and you are not helping yourself and you are not living a healthy and moral life. And I've never met the, the gay men I know, the most well-adjusted, most um, balanced, 
uh, decent human <laughs> beings you could ever meet in your life. That's been my experience. Yeah. Rebecca, speaking of yeah. gay men, but we're, we're going to move away from whether homosexuality is right or not. You don't think so. Yes, I, yes. Do, I, I do. I think it's okay. But we'll leave that there. <laughs> there is a bit of a double standard going on in the Irish media today, isn't there? Because the Irish Tornishta and um, soon to be oh. Taoiseach again for the second time is a man called Leo Varadkar. Now, he is openly gay. And yeah. a bit of double standards going on in the Irish media because um, I want to say allegedly, even though I think it's 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 pretty straightforward. Leo, the 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 Taoiseach in waiting, he's been to a nightclub and he's been filmed by somebody, but he's with another man. He's not with his partner, seemingly. And some yes. independent journalists have picked up on this and said, "Well, you see, the double standard the media will apply if that was another if that was a heterosexual politician." And they would be hammered and they might lose their lofty position because of their infidelity because they cheated. What politician gets away with cheating? But some people are saying that because he's gay and political correctness (coughs) reigns today, he'll probably survive it. I'm sure you have an opinion on this. What do you think? Yes, well, definitely. I think he will survive it. And I think part of it will be the political correctness. But um, it kind of brings me back to my previous point about it not being a healthy lifestyle. A lot of people have come out and have said that, well, he hasn't actually done anything wrong because a lot of um, homosexuals, couples don't live a monogamous lifestyle. They, they are in open relationships. So you can't just say that he was cheating on his husband. You can't you just can't say that because of his partner. I don't know whether they Many straight people have affairs, he, too. Many, many, many. There was a survey done in, in the British media. Uh, do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Sixty percent or something like that. I hope mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. Of blokes, straight blokes, surveyed mm-hmm. in this country, said that they um, have mm-hmm. no problem whatsoever. They'd love to be able to, you know, to have affairs and sleep with whoever they want. And I've seen it in my own circle of friends. Guys cheating on their wives. So we're not going down the road now that cheating is unique to gays because it isn't. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm not saying, oh, no, no, I'm not saying cheating. I'm saying it's an open relationship. I'm saying it's accepted within the relationship that they would be with other people. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that, like, I'm saying it's not infidelity. I'm saying between the two of them, they have an understanding, they have an arrangement that one of them is on a night out, he can do what he likes. The other one is on a night out, he can do what he likes. And that's part of the lifestyle. And I have seen people saying, people commenting on Twitter saying that um, it's another form of prejudice against homosexual people, that heterosexual people don't understand this lifestyle and that, you know, we should understand that it's perfectly acceptable um, to be in a relationship with one person, but to also be with other people at the same time. And that that's part of that lifestyle and that we're being bigoted by not accepting that. But that's unfair now to the many gay people who live in monogamous relationships. And I don't know any gay men who have open relations. And again, I'm not not saying this. One thing, and my listeners will tell you this. I don't even know if Leo Varadkar does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. I I, I understand what you're saying. I I don't even know if if he is in a a monogamous relationship. I don't know whether or not um, they, they be with other people or they don't. But I'm just saying that certain people have said that, you know, we, we don't understand what the lifestyle is. And basically, whether or not he's cheating, uh, I, I would I would put it to people when we go, I know you talk, we're finished talking about whether yeah. or not it's right or wrong, but I can't, I can't help it. <laughs> this enough, is my last part on it. The, the, I would put it to people when they saw that video clip, be honest with themselves. What was their instant, like visceral, what was their actual physical reaction to looking at that what did they actually think when they saw that and and I can tell you the majority of people and I know when I saw it I actually said out loud I just went ew ew like it's 
it's not natural. And if you saw a clip of a man um, kissing another woman in the nightclub like that, it's you wouldn't have the same reaction. You wouldn't yeah. be as disgusted by the visual image of it. Now you're morally, never going to hang on a second. Course, you're never again in a relationship. You're never again going to come on this program. Wait, I tell you, I was resident DJ at a gay nightclub one time. I was, yeah, I was, oh, I was, I was, and uh, yeah, of course I, I saw. Will come on again, I will absolutely. I, I, I know I still will we come love on the, again. I mean, you're we love the back and forth. To have your opinion on this. I don't have any problem yeah. with other people having different opinions. Look, I'm going to. Me. I mean, it's I'm, just. I'm going to give I mean, you. I, um, let's, yeah, I was going to finish, and I am going to shut up and, and let you come back in. Of course, I am. Um, <laughs> no, the point I was making, and I've said, I've said this before. Um, um, yeah. yeah, so I would have seen gay men being intimate on on the dance floor, kissing one another and holding hands and dancing. And I suppose when I was a younger man, you know, the idea of, of two men uh, being intimate in a way that I might be fantasising about with my, um, you know, uh, Claire, my classmate, or or, 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 or Pauline, mm. my classmate, um, would have absolutely horrified me. But, um, but, but it just didn't. I just saw blokes that were... You know, good good blokes that were together having a good time, minding their own business and, and going home. But I get you. I, what I'm saying is I understand what you're saying. Yes, yes, quite a yeah. lot of people, I'm sure, would have seen the images of Radker kissing the guy yeah. and he would have went, yuck, because they're straight. And I get that 100%, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can we come back to the double well, standards? people are being honest with themselves, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, that, well, that's the double right. standards, yes, yeah. The double standards, yeah, because... Um, Definitely, yeah. People, yeah. people are so concerned with being politically correct that... I, I genuinely think he will get away with it. Nobody. Well, I mean, when I say get away with it, I mean you can't. What? What exactly are you going to do? I mean, he hasn't yeah. broken a law. What? What? <laughs> this time in this situation, he hasn't broken a law. But what exactly are are you going to do about it? Like, he, he there is a double standard. But well, Matt Hancock I lost mean, his job so here in the that. UK. The, yeah. the the UK Health Secretary lost his job because he yeah. was caught. He was caught on CCTV rather suspiciously. Who stands having an illicit kiss with a woman who isn't your wife under a CCTV camera? I still can't figure this one out. It could be that Matt Hancock genuinely is the stupidest man that ever walked the face of the earth. But but, Han- but Hancock is gone, Rebecca, and I don't think Veradkar will end up losing his gig. That's yeah. the point, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree with you there, definitely. There definitely is a double standard there, definitely. I completely agree. Um, no, of course there is a double standard, yeah. Yeah, there, there just is. Yeah. Having four boys, yeah. let's finish on this, having four boys and the future. I mean, God, the things we talk about, and I know you talk about them online, I know you talk about them at the National Party, but where, well, we're all arguing, and, and again, this is not having a dig at you at all, but what, when we do argue and debate about homosexuality and relationship education, while well, all this is going on, and while we argue about immigrants being prioritised over, you know, the, 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 I shouldn't say the ethnic people, but, but, but the, the, the citizens of that country, these are all important things, mm-hmm. but ultimately, small beer compared to where where they want to take us into a dystopian world where we are surveilled morning, noon and night, where we are subjected to climate lockdowns, all these horrible things as a mum. And that's what you are, first and foremost. You're a mm-hmm. husband and a wife, I suppose. You're more mm-hmm. than that. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a woman, you're an intelligent woman. With the four lads, I mean, do you get moments where you think, holy God, like, this is not the place, I mean, this is not the world that I want to see my lads, you know, emerging into? Yeah, I do. I do have moments like that. And honestly, the only thing that does give me hope is being at national party meetings and seeing the young men in their late teens, early 20s, who are just incredible. I mean, I, I, I know you've probably heard about what happened at our at our Ordesh. There was a, an attack. Try to shut you Ordesh, down, yeah. And our young men, yeah, our, our young men 
there was a, a stairway between all the women and children and um, the door that Antifa were trying to break in through. And our young men ran up the stairs and created a wall and put themselves in harm with, harm's way and protected all the women and ch children. And seeing that, I can see a future where my children will have men that they can look up to. My children will have something like the National Party is fighting to change things. We are fighting to create a country that it will be a positive place for them to live in. It will be somewhere, you know, I mean, it's not going to be quick. Obviously, it's not going to just happen overnight, but it will be somewhere that I want my children to grow up in. And when I look around now, this is not I mean, the, the country is in a complete state when I look around now and it's it's not what I want for my children at all, which is why I have to protect them as much as I do. I have to I mean, I have to keep, I, I don't feel comfortable sending them to a school. I mean, I don't feel comfortable letting them go into a classroom and, and experience what's going on in the classroom. I just have to keep them at home and I have to educate them myself and I have to um, impart our values and, and morals on them because um, like society isn't going to do that. They're, they're just, they just no. aren't. And when I look around, I just see, you know, it's not the way I want it to be for them, but I have hope that it will get there and I have hope it will get there within my lifetime and within you know their lifetime that's lovely can I say this and this is not fear-mongering but it does concern me while I might disagree with you on certain things I might disagree with you I do disagree with you on obviously on homosexuality we spoke yeah, about yeah. that I think it's it's scary it's not scary it's terrifying it's sinister it's everything that's wrong the idea that in the future the state might want to interfere with your parenting of your children. And I have a feeling they're planning yes. for that. You know, I, I mean, I don't believe for a minute. Uh, your values, and you might tell me now to, to feck off if you want, but your values and you raising your children, I'm sure you do a fantastic job raising your lads, I've no doubt. I don't believe that it's a guarantee, wh whether you're right or wrong is irrelevant, you know, that mm -hmm. you will influence, that the lads will grow up believing everything that mum believes or believing everything that Justin yeah. believes. I don't believe that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. ridiculous. But I have a feeling that before too long, you know, Christians like yourself who, um, who have faith and take their moral mm -hmm. guidance from their faith, won't be long, Rebecca, before they start talking mm -hmm. about sending people around to see, you know, if those children are being yeah. harmed by their parents' uh, opinions. And I know there's well, an online harms absolutely. bill going yeah. through the, the, the Doyle, through the Oireachtas That's what the I was moment. going to say, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I've had people actually say things to me like, you know, we're going to contact Ufa about your children. You, you should, your children should be taken off you. When they, they say things, you know, like, um, you're, you're a racist, you're a bigot, you're all these things, you know, you shouldn't have those children, you shouldn't be allowed to raise them. And um, people say things about like, because I brought my seven year old to the Ordesh with us, and um, people say things like, you know, you brought your child to a, a, a racist, fascist meeting. Um, and they say they're going to contact Tufa and they're going to, you know, I should be investigated. And I honestly, it's, it's a genuine fear that I have that Tufa would take somebody's comment or somebody's um phone call and take it seriously and come and investigate now i mean like obviously if they come and investigate they're not going to find anything but the problem is what are they going to classify as anything are they going to classify me um teaching my children religion are they going to classify that as as something that's you know endangering them yeah. you know what i mean exactly yeah. as you say it's not fear mongering but it's something that's realistic and it's something we kind of we do need to prepare for and we need to be willing to fight against that and we need to um, speak up about it now before it gets to that stage. You know, we need to kind of say, I'm not to going to accept that. Yeah. You can't be having that. You know, you, yeah. It's outrageous to me. I mean, in Scotland, they tried to pass a bill that would have allowed 
children to, to you know to to almost inform on their parents if their parents said something that was considered to be taboo at the dinner table i mean it's absolutely uh, nuts that you know i i was raised by people um not not just my parents but 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 my neighbors as well my next door neighbors and and some of them had had views that might be considered to be outrageous but it didn't do me any harm they they were the best people in the world they just saw the world a bit differently than I ended up seeing it as I, as I got older. I, I This is something I'm really concerned about. And, and TUSLA, of course, is the Irish version, isn't it, of the Child Protective Services mm-hmm. here in the UK, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah. We're just about out of time. Um, loved having you back on. We should have done it sooner. Nationalparty.ie is where you find out about the Irish Nationalist Party. You have been... Li- I'll give you a final word, of course, Rebecca. You have been listening uh, to Rebecca Barrett. Rebecca is a teacher. She's a homeschooler and is an activist for the National Party. Brilliant to have you back on. Final word, if there's something you'd like to say before we go. I uh, loved having you back. I think we've, I think we've pretty much covered it. I, I, absolutely. I, I thank you very much for having me back on. It's, it's great to be able to have um, uh, you know, a reasonable debate and a reasonable conversation. And like you said, we don't agree on everything and we don't agree on some things, but you didn't shout me down. I didn't no. shout you down. You didn't call me names. I didn't call you names. You know, it's, we had a reasonable conversation and it's, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to do that and to have a platform to do that. And I, I really appreciate that you had me on and I absolutely would love to come on and chat to you again another time. Brilliant, Rebecca. Thanks very much. Look after those lads and um, especially the six months old. I am sure it's fun. And, and, and regards to everybody at the National Party. <laughs> Cheers, Rebecca. Rebecca Barrett on the Richie Allen Show Monday's programme. The time is rapidly approaching five minutes to the top of the year. Great to have a bit of debate. As she said, it's uh, something that's sadly lacking in the media today. We talked about this, we wrote about this last week. It doesn't exist anymore. Where you get people who see things differently on for a bit of a chat, bit of crack. You say what you want to say. I'll say what I want to say. Nobody has to win. It's not about winning. You let the people listening to the programme make up their own minds. That's how it used to be. In any case, and that's an old chestnut, isn't it? Because I've lectured too often on that subject. So I have. Uh, it's nearly it for the programme, by the way. It's um, it's flown by, so it has. Uh, thanks for all of your messages as well. John says, Rebecca's idea that homosexuals can be switched back to, het- not switched back, but switched to heterosexuality via some kind of medical therapy... Uh, don't think you can get this on the NHS, he says. If that was possible, then Rebecca would have to accept or concede that the reverse could also be done. Basically talking a heterosexual into becoming homosexual. That's an interesting point, John. Uh, a point well made. Um, Dave says Leo, as a neo Varadkar, is disgusting, all right. But what about Biden's energy entity, Sam Brinton? They're all a pack of sexual deviant sickos, says Dave. But that's unfair, Dave. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that Leo Varadkar is a sick sexual deviant. He isn't. Um, he's a gay man. Uh, the point I, the reason I brought this up, this, this, this video, is because of the double standards. You know, we've seen politicians lose their jobs because they've been caught out having an affair or in a, an illicit clinch. And I think maybe Leo's sexuality might, um, might, might, might save him, ultimately. I don't believe... Look, I'm not going to repeat what I've said, uh, I believe, about this issue because I've said it so many times before on the programme. Angela says that she she believes that some, some gay people are gay as a result of trauma. Others are gay or bisexual because it is hormonal. It isn't one thing and we should live and it lives, says Angela. Absolutely. And I'll say this again. The gay men I know, the most well-adjusted, the most balanced, monogamous guys I've ever met in my life, um, not unhappy, not fed up, and um and, and more and more importantly, um we just laugh when, when they hear 
Christians, and this is not to mock Rebecca, not at all. But when they hear, you know, that a Christian person, or not even a Christian person, just another person thinks that they're, you know, that it's wrong or that it's uh, it's a perversion, they just laugh. You know, live and let live. And I like that as well. That's it for today's programme. Back with you tomorrow at the usual time of five o'clock, closing out with this from Zaz. A little bit of French music to close out the show. I know, I can't do any accents. Well, you, you know that anyway, don't you? That was crap. Thanks to my guests. Speak tomorrow. Bye.